too. Thank you, love. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Wow. Devon, that was just extraordinary. Wow. Yes, fearless. Lord Jesus, we're all full of fear in our natural person. But you are faith incarnate. And I thank you that you dwell on the inside of each one of us. Make us fearless for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Wow. So good. Well, uh, I want to welcome Jude, uh, my grandson's great-grandparents from England this morning. So if Jude's great-grandparents could just stand up and uh, just give a wave to everybody. Murray and I's mum and dad, it's lovely to have you with us for the next, you know, almost three months, which is wonderful. And uh, make sure that each one of you spend some time with my mum and dad. Uh, they are two of the most exceptional human beings I've ever met. Devoted their lives, their entire adult lives to missions, to the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth all over the world, most especially in the, among the most unreached people groups of the world, people who are held under darkness in other religions, um, uh, including the Islamic faith, uh, where people in northern Nigeria, in their millions, are being held captive from knowing who their true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is. And uh, my mom and dad devoted their lives to bringing the gospel to those people. So they're full of love, they're full of the Holy Spirit, they're full of God, and, uh, you know, I just am so proud to be their son. So thank you, Mum and Dad, very much. We love you, honor you, and you're most welcome. Mm. And, uh, and, and I just promote you both to pastors in the church while you're here. So. You're better than all the rest of us pastors anyway, so... We should make it formal. You know, there was a, uh, I heard this week, there was a, a very, very argumentative couple. And uh, they were extremely, extremely uh, performance oriented and, uh, 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 what's the word, um, always wanting to be right with each other. And, uh, and so one morning, the alarm went off at, 6.30 a.m. for them to get ready for the, uh, for the day. They had an important meeting to go to. And the wife turns to the husband and uh, she says, go make the coffee, honey. It's your turn. And he said, no, you go make the coffee. It's your turn. No, but I always make the coffee. It's your turn. Get out of bed, lazy bones, and go make the coffee. Well, the husband was very irate. And he said, no, you go make the coffee. So the wife said, well... No, it's biblical that you go and make the coffee. He said, biblical? Don't you be using the Bible against me in an argument like this? It's not biblical at all. There's no verse in Bible verse that it's biblical. She said, yes, there is. God wants all men to make the coffee. That's why he put the book of Hebrews in there. (laughs) 
So there you go, guys. You've got your vocation for life. If there's anyone that was wondering, and you're male in this room, what God's purpose is for your life, make coffee. At least that's a good start. That was a really bad dad joke. Actually, I think that was a grandpa joke. <laughs> I've loved becoming a grandfather. It's the biggest promotion I've ever had in my whole life. I just love it. It's amazing. I dedicate this message to my grandson this morning. That's a joke, everybody. Relax. I am an American citizen now. I need to have some kind of sentimental thing coming up, right? Turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10, and verse 17. Abba. Title of my message this morning is Born to Rule the World. It's Christmas time, everybody. Can I have a yay? Woo-hoo! Come on, I love Christmas. I love Christmas with all my heart. I do. And uh, when I was a little boy, my favorite thing at Christmas time was presents. And now that I'm a grown 50-year-old, my favorite thing about Christmas is presents. (laughs) Except now I don't like it so much because Kate always goes out and does the Christmas shopping because she's a forward planner and I'm a spontaneity guy and I usually go shopping on Christmas Eve. And, uh, <laughs> and thank God for the last 26 years Kate's taken over and uh, she goes out shopping sometime around middle of October for Christmas. Gets all the shopping done out of the way. Leaves me no chance. I'm like, honey, listen, at least this October, invite me to come with you. Do something. And the reason is, is not because I want to help her. It's because I don't want to be the one wrapping hundreds of Christmas presents. Because I always get relegated to the job of wrapping because I didn't do the shopping. Is there anybody that can relate to what I was just talking about right there? Yeah, it's right there with the book of Hebrews. That's right, Murray. He raps with Hebrews, you know. That's Devon's job. He raps. Boom! Born to rule. Now, Jesus was going out on the road, Mark 10, verse 17, and one came running knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. 
And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. Don't you love that? Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say right there, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. And you will have eternal life. I want you to realize that this go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor is not the doorway to eternal life. I want you to see this morning that the entire story is an invitation for the man on his knees to recognize the one that he stood before, the one that was born to rule. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the eye of a needle right there is not a sewing needle. The eye of the needle right there was a gateway into the old Jerusalem that was a narrow passageway that only an unloaded camel could get through. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men, it's impossible. Who then can be saved? With men, it's impossible. Possible. Christmas is the story of the man who was God born to do the impossible for us. Because humanity could not save themselves. Only God could save us. And for us to be saved, because we were the ones who had screwed up, because all of our sin was our responsibility. We needed somebody to step up who knew no sin and be willing to pay the price of all of our sin and die the death that we deserved, but die it for us in our place. And that person who died 
should be a man because man had sinned, because humanity had sinned. It wasn't right that God should pay that price. It was right that man should pay that price. It wasn't right that the creator should pay the price that the created screwed up on. It was only right that the created should pay for it. But the problem is, is that the created didn't have that perfect life to give back to the creator what the creator deserved and what the creator created the created for in the first place. And so not having the means to give the creator what he's worth, which is your life, perfect, you no longer can give him either a perfect life nor a perfect death. And it required the perfect creator to pay it. But why should he pay it? He's the creator, not the created. But God, but God, the only one who's good and the only one who could, God the creator became man the created. And you say Jesus wasn't created. Yes, except for the fact that he who knew no sin became sin for us in order to ultimately fulfill Romans 8 verse 3 that says that God, let's just read it together so that you can see it right here. It's just an, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable in the sense that it's unimaginable that God would do such a thing for us in love. For what the law could not do, remember the man said, I've I've done all the law, I've done, I've, I've never committed adultery. I've never murdered. I've done the whole of the law. I've perfectly kept it. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. The Creator was willing to become the created. Not that Jesus, the Son of God, was created, but He took upon Himself our created flesh and blood. He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. The Word became flesh. The incarnation is that the Son of God, uncreated being, was willing to humble Himself and become a a conceived human being exactly like us in a woman's womb. The creator was willing to embrace the created and become made in the likeness, created in the likeness of sinful flesh, though he himself never sinned. Had he sinned once, he wouldn't have been able to save us. But Jesus Christ was willing to solve the conundrum. God who could pay with his perfect life but shouldn't. And God and man who should pay for his life but couldn't. God solved it. The Son of God solved it, everybody. The Father and the Son solved it. When the Father sent his son, when the son said, Dad, here I am, I'm willing to go. I am eternal life. 
and I say yes, I will go. I will become a totally helpless. I will become first an invisible fertilized egg in a virgin mother's womb. I will become incarnate. I will take on, I will allow you to cause me to make me in the likeness of sinful flesh. You will, I will allow you to put flesh and blood on me, though I'm eternal life. Losing nothing of my eternal life and purposed for death, life for death. I allow you to do this with me so that our love can come to them, can come to the whole world. Because it's the only way to save them. Because a man should, but only God can. And so now the God who's man, who should and can, has done it. Come on! That's the Christmas story. But almost every, well, I would say every human being that's been born, starting with Adam who was created, he was unborn, but he was created. Every human being since, apart from Jesus, every one of us have thought we could do it on our own. We thought, first of all, we thought the opposite. Well, we shouldn't have to pay for our sin with our life. Why should we pay for it? It's their fault, not mine. And secondly, what do you mean I can't? Sure I can. I can pray. I can give my money to the poor. I can stop swearing. I don't murder like those other people. I'm not a racist like my friends. I'm not a racist like the guys down the street. I'm not like those people over there or that group over there. I go to church. Yeah. I don't drink and get drunk. No. No, no. I'm good. I'm a real good, good boy. I'm a goody, goody. I'm a lot better than people realize. I think I'm as good as God. You know what gives away the fact that I think I'm as good as God? The fact that I'm convinced I can spend eternity with him on my own merit. And this is the human problem, everybody. This is the human condition. And this is the problem with this man who stood in front of Jesus, who knelt in front of Jesus, so deeply, respectably knelt. Look at me. Look at, I mean, he was dressed in the finest clothes available on the planet. It wasn't Gucci. It wasn't Yves Saint Laurent. But it was the equivalent. And he sure was dressed different to everybody else around him, no doubt. And despite his fine clothes, he got them real dirty because he was a real goody-goody. Jesus, what must I do to receive eternal life? Actually, it doesn't say receive. It says, Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I think Jesus was looking at him in that moment and thinking, you're a rich man. Of all the people in this crowd, you're the only one here 
who probably ought to understand the dynamic of inheritance better than anybody else. The dynamics of inheritance is that you don't have to do anything. That's the whole point of inheritance. You see, you can spend your life, as that man had, earning all the money in the world. And it comes out of your due. Your do, 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 do. And as I've said so many times, you know what do do leads to? A stinky mess around you. It's doo-doo. And he didn't realize he was stuck in a load of doo-doo. And so because of his doo-doo paradigm, he comes to Jesus on his knees in the dirt, thinking that somehow or other that would disguise his doo-doo. And he says to Jesus, what must I do-do to inherit eternal life? It's the dumbest question on the planet. That's why Jesus gave him an answer worthy of how dumb his question was. Go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. He wasn't pointing out to all of us and all of humanity for the rest of eternity that that's how you receive eternal life. He didn't even say, and you'll receive eternal life. He's answering the man's question with an answer that will provoke him into realizing you don't ever have to do anything for eternal life. And to provoke him into realizing that salvation and eternal life is impossible to do anything to receive it. All that's required is that you believe in eternal life himself. That eternal life himself took upon himself flesh and blood, became a man just like us because he was the only one who could do without getting stuck in doo-doo. Because he was perfect. Mm. Uh, I want to just give credit where credit's due. I was in Mozambique last week and I, I met a person who uh, is like God. He owns the cattle on, well, he owns 10,000 cattle on one hill somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, of course, God owns several cattle on 10,000 hills. But anyway, this man obviously clearly was a person of great wealth and had actually made the wealth through uh, his own endeavors. He wasn't born into a family that was wealthy, landowners. He was born a simple guy, but he just loved Jesus, gave his life to Jesus and followed Jesus' commands. And Jesus led him into extraordinary business abilities, which has resulted in the ownership of 10,000 cattle. And uh, I'm sitting with him and having a joyful time with him because I come from a farming family, so we have a lot in common, and we were just chatting, and he said, you know, you know the issue with the rich man, Duncan? I said, I, said, uh, I, I think so. 
I've learned in life, don't say yes to certain questions. And, uh, and, and he said, I was thinking about it the other day and I suddenly realized the issue. The issue was, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I thought, wow, that's it right there. You see, one day, I hope to inherit something from my father. (laughs) But I'm smart enough to know there's nothing I can do for that to happen. It's not about me doing. It's about the goodness of his heart to desire to give me an inheritance. Out of no worthiness of my own other than one incredible truth, I'm his son. And God's looking to give eternal life as an inheritance to his sons and daughters, everybody. Not those that do and do and do and do and do and do and do. And the man answered, his answer was not even Oh, I've got a million dollars. I could give a million dollars to your uh, disciples in the budget right here. Could slow, sew a little check. No. No, he, he doesn't even trust in his riches. You know what he did? He trusted in the other thing that we trust in. He trusted in his ability to do religion. Well, I mean, look at me. I, I pray. He didn't say this, but I'm, I'm using our equivalent, okay? I mean, you know, I'm part of a prayer house 24-7. Yeah. And uh, I've been to revival in Toronto. I mean, heaven only knows the time of morning I get up to pray. Oh, yeah. When everybody else is snoozing in bed, including all the pastors, I'm up. 5 a.m. Oh, shikaraba soto kitaraba yende. Oh, come along to my Honda because my Kawasaki's left behind. Oh, yeah, 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 yama, 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 yama. I was reminded in pre service prayer of a funny moment. We were in Bible college, Kate and I, years ago in England, and uh, it was 95, January 95. The Holy Spirit hit us from Toronto at the Bible college that we were at in England. And uh, we already had like an amazing measure of the presence of God among us, but in this Bible college. But my goodness me, when that revival from Toronto, people came over carrying laden with so much anointing. And they came right there to the eye of the needle and they offloaded that camel on us all. And we got blasted by the Holy Spirit, like properly, properly, properly blasted in a way we'd never been blasted before. And my best friend at Bible College, he was from Congo. Do we have any Congolese in the, in the congregation over here? Yeah. Come on. Come on, Gaddy. Any other Congolese? Oh, yeah. Come on, girls. Mwah. Yeah. I met a lovely Congolese at the gas station yesterday. We had the greatest time. He told me the greatest stories of God's goodness in the midst of all kinds of persecution. Well, anyway, my friend from Congo, you know, he just was a hilarious guy. And, uh, but he was totally serious in love with God. And he's like, I mean, he was one of those guys who just spoke in tongues even while we were eating lunch or dinner. 
We'd be walking in the park, speaking in tongues. We'd be driving in the car, speaking in tongues. We'd be, I mean, goodness, he probably was speaking in tongues inside of his motorcycle helmet. Which is pretty hard. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, and he had his tongue, but when the Holy Spirit really hit us with this whole Toronto thing, he just started oh vo 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 Well after three days of vo 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 I went up to him, I just couldn't help it, you know, I like to tease. I just went up to him and I said, uh Giddy, if you keep saying his name was Gideon, Giddy, if you keep saying vo 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 like that. God's going to give you what you asked for. You're going to get a Volvo. You're not going to get a Mercedes. You're going to get a Volvo. Now, I know that every African likes a Mercedes over a Volvo. And so in that moment, he caught the gist of my joke. And he went, oh, say, 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 say. That was hilarious. Absolutely, properly hilarious. Come on, guys, have fun, because God's not into your doo-doo anyway. Lighten up, have fun. Quit behaving like this man right here. Quit thinking that by getting on your knees in front of Jesus is going to make you impressive. Quit thinking that your riches is going to get you somewhere in your life. Quit thinking that your religion is going to get you somewhere in your life. Jesus is the only one who's going to get you somewhere in your life because he is the somewhere. He's the someone and he's the somewhere and he's the somehow. He's the sum of it all. He's the sum, 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 sum. And handsome. Now that he's resurrected, I don't believe that he was particularly handsome when he was on earth. Isaiah tells us that. He had no comeliness in himself that we should love him. I think a lot of people stumbled on the way he looked. I think they thought if Messiah came, he'd be better looking than that bloke over there. Plus the fact he wouldn't have that Galilean accent. Well, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me. And y'all, whoever believes in me out of his innermost being, you shall receive eternal life. Springing up like a river right up out. And all those posh guys in Jerusalem are like, I said. I don't think there could be any possible way that this urchin from Galilee could possibly be the Messiah. Oh, for goodness sakes. How terribly terribly uneducated he is oh dear oh. y'all it is finished I'm not taking I'm not teasing any particular accent from this locale I promise you Jesus goes right at the issue from the very beginning. Good teacher, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life? Jesus' answer, why do you call me good? (laughs) What an invitation for his eyes to be opened right there and then. He was looking at Jesus' feet, the feet that were going to be nailed. And he could have said, because you're God, that's why I call you good. Because I've realized you're God. You took my feet and they became your feet. You took my legs, they became your legs. You took my body, became my body. You took my hands, became my hands. You're going to take my death. Your death that will become my death. So that you could be raised from the dead. Because your God and death could never hold on to you. So that I could be raised with you forever. Because your eternal life. I'm looking at flesh and blood incarnate eternal life right now. And to the measure he could have right there and then. He could have clung to Jesus' feet. He could have said to the measure that these feet are human. To the measure that you God have become You divine have become human. It's the measure that through you, me, a screwed up human, forget my bank account. Forget all of my best efforts at the law. It's impossible for me to be saved. I'm tired. I'm exhausted of trying to earn my way. I recognize in these feet that to the measure you've become human, I can become divine in you. Jesus, my Savior, I'll follow these feet to the ends of the earth. I'll follow these feet into eternity because these feet have become my feet. You're all that I have. You're all that I want. You're my everything. You're the best Christmas present I've ever had. The irony. What must I do to get spoken to the one who said to his father, what must I do to give? And the father said, Son. It's not so much just about what you're going to give. It's about what I, as your dad, am prepared to give. And you are everything that I have from eternity to eternity. And I am going to give my entire riches to them, to the world. I'm going to give all that I have and all that I own. I'm going to give all of my riches, you, to the world, son, this Christmas. Mm. 
Jesus looked at them and said, With men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Your salvation is impossible for you, for me, for every good human being who thinks they're good. They're just as evil as Adolf Hitler in the eyes of a perfect God. Therefore, it's impossible for man or woman to be saved without Jesus Christ, their eternal Savior. In the midst of all of our language that we use from the platform of desiring to transform our cities, of desiring for you to transform your communities, of you being someone that God wants to bless and make an incredible, prosperous ruler out of in your world. Never ever forget, this life is temporary. We are called to eternity. We're called to eternal life. He has a name. His name is Jesus. And it's Jesus that we really want to bring to the world, everybody. May Christmas remind us that it doesn't matter how much money we ever have in our bank account. It doesn't matter how much of that money we give away. What really, really ultimately counts is that we believe, simply believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the only one who is worthy to save us, has saved us, will save us, and he's not just our savior, he's the savior of the world. We must give him away. We must give him away. May our hearts at this Christmas not be so much about, yay, what am I going to get for Christmas? And yay, it's Christmas! I get to give Jesus away! Let's stand. Murray preached an unbelievable message last week. Our big ask. Remember? Right now is the moment for a big ask. I want you to grab the person next to you's hand. And I want you, I want to invite you right now to begin to think about who you'd like to give Jesus away to this Christmas. You're going to give away a lot of presents this Christmas. Some of them are going to be expensive. I had to invest in a little bit of something in order to afford the Christmas presents that my kids wanted. And I thank God my wife, who's a keen investor, came up with a bright idea. Let's invest in such and such and so so and so. I'm not telling you because I'm not an investment specialist and I don't want you to listen to my advice. And so we thank, she goes, let's invest in a little of this. And I'm like, okay, we invested in a little of that. And she goes, if it goes down, that's a, that's a struggle. That's bad. But it could go up. And if it goes up, Let's give whatever it goes up. Let's add that to their Christmas present. I'm like, honey, that's just such a genius idea. We shared it with the girls. We shared the risk. We said it'll be taken away from what we're willing to give you if it goes down. <laughs> but everything that it makes will add to your Christmas present. I want you both, I want you all to know that our girls were given by the Holy Spirit way beyond 
what they needed for their expensive Christmas presents. God bless that investment that my wife thought of so radically. But even though those presents that we're going to give are expensive and we're, we're excited to give them, you know that excitement that you get about giving an amazing present to somebody that you love? Ask the Holy Spirit right now to help your friend next to you and they'll pray the same for you. To have an even greater excitement in your heart to give Jesus away the whole of this year in 2018. That as Ash has been saying, Jesus the evangelist in us would manifest himself. And that we'll spend 2018 giving the best present that we could ever give our family, our friends, our neighbors, the streets of Durham, the streets of Raleigh, the streets of Chapel Hill, the streets of Wake Forest, and Roseville, and, and in case I've left yours out, all the areas of North Carolina. Just begin to pray right now that God the Holy Spirit will take a hold of you like, like that investment that Kate talked about with the girls. And, and, and that all that he's invested in you, he would get a phenomenal profit on in the year 2018. Because you, your friend next to you, the spirit of giving and generosity, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and turn you into the greatest giver instead of the greatest getter in 2018. That your life will be transformed into a life of give, give, give instead of do, do, do and get, get, get. What must I do, do, do to have, have, have will be something of the past for you. Now it'll be, thank God I have, have, have. His name is Jesus. What can I give, 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 give? Who can I give, 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 give to? Whether it's the university campuses, whether it's your workplace, courage will come into your heart. Boldness will come into your heart. And you'll be able to give, give, give this Christmas and all of 2018. Come on, church, go for it. Pray for each other in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, pray for the person next to you. Pray the kind of prayers you'd like them to pray for you. Oh yeah, shakaraba. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you that this year of 2018 that comes up ahead of us will become the year of our greatest success in giving away the gift of eternal life, Jesus Christ himself. That you would turn us into a church that is renowned in this area as the church with the greatest level of generosity in giving Jesus away. Oh, come on, Holy Spirit. Do it, we ask. We want to give away the Father's love. We want to give away the healing that we have in our hearts. We want to give away the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We want to give away all that you've given us, Jesus. We want to give, 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 give. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.